This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 20th of February 2024 at home in Wicklow. And it is an episode that jumps around quite a bit, but I go on a journey from critics being silenced in Russia to talking about AI image making and video making and why I don't like it to an interesting book about hunting sharks to my desire for simplicity and humility and honesty and how theatres and karate training halls and churches all sort of cross over with a, a similar offering if you like um, in terms of places of practice and places of humility and openness they are empty spaces so I talk about the implications of that um, in different ways both positive and negative um, and as usual there are a few different references scattered about the place a few movie references here and there but um but that's about it so it's um yeah it's 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 simplicity it's it's human experience it's resistance to certain aspects of technology and modernity and it's all packaged into an hour and 10 minutes of it okay so i hope you can handle that if that sounds like your thing i will see you around the corner cheers Change my mind Leaving the dream behind Keep my inside Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome. I hope this moment finds you well. How's everything been going? How's your day? How's the week been? How's this... This moment in time, how's it treating you? How are you spinning in the universe? That's often how, <laughs> it's often how I, I think of myself. Not from this mad egotistical point of view, quite the opposite. Just as this molecular speck in a universe of endless countless infinitesimal sort of organisms which are utterly anonymous and yet each one is simply trying to survive each one is travelling through the universe by itself somehow even when it might come into contact with others even when it might travel its journey with others ultimately the organism is on its own it's a solo flight it's a solo capsule a solo pod if you will <laughs> and that's the journey that everyone is on and alliances relationships moments of togetherness of unification of love 
of hatred, of violence, of connection, of of generation, of procreation. It's merely coincidence. That's all. Just lucky. Random. Random. I mean, I did, I did do an episode on this concept more or less last year. Something about blips on the grid. We're just blips on the grid of life. This vast matrix of organic interaction. The organism alone. And that's... I don't consider that a negative frame. Um, I consider it... I consider it a fact of life. And in fact, I often find it quite heartening to remind myself of that. And sure, it's it's sort of analogous or adjacent to perhaps a misguided notion of free will. <laughs> every, every time I bump into a neuroscientist uh, uh, in the online space, they're all like, free will is a myth (laughs) you have no agency at all I mean I'm paraphrasing brutally but um, it sort of makes me laugh that I'm stubbornly going no I do have free will (laughs) I'm making so many choices on a daily basis and they'll argue no you're not (laughs) something else is happening Um, predetermined on some level but um, I, I entertain myself with that delusion that I am <laughs> the master of my ship. I am the, uh, the pilot, the sailor, the captain. I am at the helm. So that was my question to you. How's your journey? How's your journey through the universe going? Do you feel you're managing okay? Do you have provisions Are you going to run out of fuel? Do you like what you see outside the window of your of your spacecraft? What do you see? Does it fill you with joy? Does it fill you with dread? Are you inspired? Are you disheartened? Is your cynicism in humanity in particular confirmed regularly? Or can you see those moments, those moments of grace that lift you and move you and motivate you? Because movement is motivation, isn't it? To be motivated to action, to be inspired, to take in breath, to take in life. I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. And... Some days are better than better than others. What can I tell you? Um, weather the weather report because I know you're dying to to know what what's happening here at hashtag blessed. Um, it's just stopped. Oh no, still drizzling a bit. It was dryish earlier. I had a swim. It was cold, but not too cold. My body, for whatever reason, seems to be handling the cold water pretty well. This winter, well, spring now, but. Considering I haven't been in that much, um, I'm not having palpitations or a serious after drop in temperature um, on the other side of the swim. 
So uh, it was good today. I was quite tired when I was facing the sea. I was just doing a bit of scrolling on my phone before getting into the water. A little bit of... Um, a bit of chop, a few waves kind of rolling in, but nothing too serious. Um, but I knew it would be a good circuit breaker, as it always is. Just like a, almost like a defibrillator, just giving you that jump start, bang, okay. And it just kicks the headspace into a different place. And yes, go and listen to um, last week's episode where I talked about that article on the vagus nerve, which... Uh, a guy from football my football game had written an article about um, did I, I don't think I put a link to that maybe I'll do that this week um, anyway there you go so let's get into what has to be got into in this week's episode a few different things um, I've been thinking about AI and I've also been thinking about Alexei Navalny, the high-profile and dedicated critic of Vladimir Putin and his regime and his passing last week. Um, I've been thinking about other things as well. There might be time to, to talk about a couple of movies watched recently. But maybe not. I might save those for another day. I'll just, I'll just see. I'll just see how, how things are going. So where to begin is my question. Um, maybe just maybe just a brief reflection on Alexei Navalny and his alleged murder. Um at the hands of the yeah the Putin regime, the Putin Putin government, there's been, as far as I can tell, across um, well across the media that I consume, which is generally you know left or liberal leaning, um, there's been very outspoken criticism and. I guess I'm not sure if I've saw anything that qualified as outright condemnation, but definitely clear, critical, a clear critical stance of Alexei Navalny's end. His wife, uh, is it Julia Navalny, is, it looks like she's going to kind of take up his cause and continue to protest against the the injustices and the sort of repression of Putin's Russia um, but I must say like when the, when the news broke I, I did have that sort of emotional reaction of just just feeling uh, sort of sickened I suppose um, because it just seems from afar to view that it just looks very blatant and obvious and you just sort of it's very easy to to feel you're deducing the facts very clearly that here's someone who's been targeted by Putin poisoned imprisoned and finally killed um, you know dying in custody um, in sketchy circumstances um, under a very unapologetic regime 
and why was I sickened? Because it feels wrong. <laughs> because it feels like something that represents um, something that represents liberty. Is that is that it? Alexei Navalny. What did he represent? Um, moral courage. Speaking against a very dangerous um, institution uh, in terms of Putin's government, Putin's regime, knowing that the cost could be dire. Um, speaking truth to power. Um, you know, these are things I, I respect. There's generally a, um, a frustrating and disappointing absence of those voices um, across the political world. Um, you know, governments that are, you know, enthralled to to private sector influence, enthralled to more powerful interests, more powerful governments, enthralled to the power of of money, of corporate investment. Um, yes, I'm, I am talking about the Irish government here, amongst others. So when you see someone who is, and I can't speak to Alexei Navalny's um, emotional state, if he spoke with fear or without fear, but he certainly spoke in spite of fear, if he was afraid. And yeah, it's just... Um, It just feels like that's a you know like a, an an element of of good or an element of of righteousness um, that has just been removed from the map, and Putin continues to to smirk. Um, and you know I don't have, you know I don't have a, a you know a particularly anti-Putin agenda, but. That sort of, you know, what seems to be blatant silencing of critics um, is is not something I value, and obviously it makes it harder for anyone else to be outspoken. And if that's a if that's a sort of a hallmark of totalitarian regimes. Um, and certainly to look back at sort of you know communist communist kind of communist governments and communist um institutions and regimes from sort of mid 20th century on and their relationship to censorship and control of the message um and the way people were disappeared or had to leave or ended up in gulags or prisons. Uh, and you would think of countries like um, Russia and, and China in particular, perhaps. I mean, the USSR, I suppose, across the USSR and how the, the, um, the rhetoric and the, the public... An international agenda of of communism and Cold War communism was was preserved, um, and it was preserved in very uncompromising circumstances, with uh, secret police um, and you know and all the all the rest, 
all these kind of instruments of, of repression and control. Now, of course, the the lie we tell ourselves in the West is that Western governments don't do that. And I'm not going to sit here now and start getting into dodgy behaviour of of Western governments. Um, you know, this really was, because it just, it's like, that's not really my focus ever, is it? But it's important that, well, I mean, I think it's important that you retain a critical head and kind of go, hold on, it's never, you know, it's never a binary. You know, this these guys are good, these guys are bad. And, you know, we're living, we're living in a time of great intellectual impoverishment in general uh, public discourse and certainly in the discourses that happen online and across social media. Um, there's such extreme um, binary thinking and such extreme sort of what a valorizing uh, of subjectivity and the subjective experience and the the desire to cancel people and deplatform people i don't i just don't value any of that i don't think it helps anyone i don't think it edifies anyone i mean i suppose arguably the people who are trying to who are doing the canceling they feel it helps them but um, as I've said before, that stuff is, you know, it, it runs very close to, to fascism. Uh, it's so intolerant. Um, but in any case, to go back to Putin, like all this kind of, all this sort of outrage in, in the West and the, you know, kind of online activism, um, I just find myself thinking, what does he care about that at all? Do you think he's worried? <laughs> Do you think Putin is going, oh no, you know, there's an online campaign, an online petition to express, you know, outrage at what's been done here. I'm in danger. I don't think he feels in danger at all. Uh, I don't think he cares about liberal hand-wringing and pearl-clutching. Um, I don't think he cares about what's printed in Western, you know, progressive media. Um, I mean, I, I just ask myself, where's the incentive for him to stop doing what he's doing? Because this is strongman leadership, strongman politics. And again, not being any student of Russian culture or Russian history, but certain things I feel I've uh, intuited or understood or read or heard. I think a lot of people in Russia like that type of leadership. They value the strong man model. Um, but again, I'm not sitting here with any data, any research, any stats under my fingertips. So I'm not sure what level of popularity Putin actually enjoys. Um, but I suspect the Russian populace is extremely cynical. And I wonder how many tears they're shedding for Alexei Navalny. Um, you know, outside his specific, you know, followers or supporters or advocates so um, I don't know. I don't know what the conclusion is there. I mean, what the conclusion is, you know, what 
you know, what incentivizes that type of leader to refrain from silencing critics? I mean, when you reduce that to, you know, basic psychology, I mean, my argument always is it's the desire to silence critics is fundamentally a very fearful position and a very insecure um, it's a very insecure need if you feel I cannot tolerate criticism I cannot tolerate the presence of criticism um, I remember working in different schools in Melbourne and you know routinely in, 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 in different schools particularly if you're a new teacher as I was in some cases to those schools uh, management would request that you allow yourself be observed uh, teaching and I never had any issue with it. Um, I just thought, yeah, <laughs> do what you have to do. And I'd just trust that I would represent myself well and represent my teaching well. And I didn't particularly modify anything or change what I was doing. I just taught as I always taught. But there were teachers who refused to let that happen. There were teachers who refused management um or, you know, whatever, representatives of, of, of management to come in and observe. And it doesn't speak to confidence. It doesn't speak to uh, transparency or faith um, that what I'm doing is good and I'm not afraid for people to see this. Um, you know, and I received criticism, um, but I benefited <laughs> You know, I, I could look at it, you know, the first time I was observed, I could look and go, yeah, you know what, that wasn't great. Uh, I wasn't really, you know, I didn't bring my A game that day. And um, I was observed subsequently by the same person not that long after that. And it was a different experience for both of us. So, you know, and, and that, you know, for, for the better. So, yeah, like I, I just think the the idea that you, you want to shut out all negative voices I mean, if we if we draw a line to to the, the the type of wellness that I'm often critical of, where there can be no dark things, no um, bad elements in what I'm presenting here, uh, and I, I just again, I, you know, for the umpteenth time, um, I really distrust that position, and. Obviously, what I try to do here when I'm talking about things like emotional and psychological well-being, um, when I'm talking about mental health, um, I try to walk that line very honestly, openly, authentically. And that's why I can do an episode like I did a few episodes ago and really go deep on my own struggles with depression um, and how suicidal ideation is part of that experience for me and I'm just trying to walk the walk and I don't feel ashamed of that uh, I think it's useful to talk about it and you know again that in a way it's in a way it's sort of going well look you can't criticize me for not being honest you can't criticize me for trying to only present one thing and you can't criticize me for just trying to present some sort of constantly upbeat, happy, jolly, <laughs> blissed out, wellness babbling moron. Um, 
I mean, maybe I come across like that occasionally. I mean, in a way, I hope I do occasionally, because that's a nice counterpoint to um, going into the dark corners. And that's as it should be, because, you know, we're we we humans. I speak I speak for the human race. We're 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 complex and messy and many layered and many faceted. And we can't be reduced to this or that. So, um, yeah, anyway, look, um, I don't know what you draw from that reflection. Um, I think it's a shame. I think it's very sad that Navalny, um, as a critic of a repressive totalitarian uh, government like Putin's, that he's gone, that's, that's, that's not a good thing. So, you know, there, there has to be balance. Has to be. Is that an ideal? Is that an ideal um, aspiration? But balance. There has to be balance in the world. You have to balance the bad with the good. If you're going to use those kind of terms, if you're going to, if you're going to step into the binary, balance the darkness with the light. And I really, you know, on a personal wellness level, um, I believe in that idea. I believe in the idea of how we walk through life. Again, let's go back to the the image at the start of the podcast, the idea of traveling through the universe alone. Um, what do you bring with you? As you move into each new space, as you move into each new moment, what are you bringing? What's your contribution to the larger energy of the universe? I mean, do you, do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about what your own personal sphere of energy is like? I think my own personal aspiration is to be to be a sort of a, a balancing element. I think, and again, I'm sure I've spoken about this before on the on the podcast, but to be a balancing element in the world, something that sort of brings things back to an even keel so it's it's about being thoughtful it's about being reasonable it's about being calm it's about trying to not be hysterical and jump on the various bandwagons and just impulsively rah 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 with everybody else it's just to be a bit more considered um and to sort of just it's to occupy your own space rather than occupying the spaces of others. How about that? So it's, it's fundamentally a very anti-colonialist idea. Occupy your own space. Not, don't occupy the space of others. That's, um, that's really it. And are we happy to do that? Or are we always sticking our oar in elsewhere are we always trying to be something else um are many of us afraid to occupy our own space because we don't like what dwells there and just to uh, spell that out you dwell in your own space <laughs> so um yeah anyway there you go um Okay, not directly connected at all, um, and maybe not even indirectly connected, maybe just not connected, but um, 
I'll, I'll see if I can at the end if, if there's a connection to be made I said I want to talk about AI so I don't know how you're getting on with the ever more obvious presence of AI in our lives the if I say if I use the word intrusion that's for, that's a very kind of prejudicial word but encroachment is that is that less is that less uh, loaded less slanted AI is I mean it, it, it's coming AI is here and I guess it's been here for a while in, in in less visible ways and maybe that makes those ways more benign or more sinister depending on how you think about them but certainly AI in the hands of creatives and artistic people and social media uh, users AI is becoming more and more visible more and more there um, a friend of mine hi Tim if you're listening a friend of mine sent me a link to somebody's Twitter account where he was I don't know how long the list was was it 12 was it 50 just different examples of AI video making, AI filmmaking, um, and the 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 related prompts that um, produced the the AI clip, and I looked at the first one, and it was a woman walking through at maybe Tokyo at night on a, a wet street. And, uh, you know, all the neon lights and the reflected images in the, the water on the street. Uh, very stylish, uh, matrixy looking woman. And all very cool and perfect. And um, was it sort of video real? I think it was in terms of the quality. Could I have been looking at a video? I think I felt I could have. The next one, I think the second on the list was um, three or four or five woolly mammoths moving towards the camera, towards the screen, across snow and you know billowing clouds of snow being displaced as they moved closer. Um, and that was it. I had to turn it off. I just because I'm not going to sit here and look at all these. And I, I had a sort of a, a visceral um, reaction to seeing those images in terms of my sense of repulsion. <laughs> it sounds quite strong, doesn't it? But in, yeah, like in, in terms of my sense of like repulsion, my, my sense of resistance, my sense of um, invasiveness. Um, by this tech and the the ease with which people can create beguiling images to to draw us in seduce us captivate us and i'm sure ultimately you know to sell us something um but i just felt i i i want to you know step away from my phone and get away from this and what was what, what what occurred to me was 
that there was a stage in computer-generated imagery. There was a stage when that technology was still very far from perfect. And I can't remember when Steven Spielberg did his motion capture version of Tintin. Um, featuring actors like, uh, was it Jamie Bell playing Tintin? And was it Daniel Craig playing Captain Haddock? And though I didn't particularly enjoy the film, I, there, there was something just very dead about it. Um, and what's the other one that comes to mind? Um, the The Polar Express with Tom Hanks again motion capture and that was a bit earlier the tech was even less good more imperfect now if you go back and even look at a few clips from those two films online whatever they just put in Spielberg Tintin movie and the Polar Express and they are portraying now Tintin's portraying cartoon characters like they're from the the Belgian comic book you know series the you know by Hergé which I loved as a kid and I've even read a few, re reread a few of them in, in, you know, in the last year or so, just, you know, as a, you know, just a little, you know, kind of a happy sort of indulgence. Um, and, and they, and they, they generally don't, they don't captivate the way they would have uh, as a child. But the movie um, that Spielberg did, those characters, they just didn't quite work. There's just something that the, the the human eye resists something that the human eye recognises as this is neither fli- neither <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's neither f- f- fish nor fowl it's neither fish nor fowl neither fish nor fowl there's something unnatural that the the human brain and the human eye goes uh uh-uh, wrong this is making me feel a bit uneasy in its in its wrongness and it just doesn't fit into an area of understanding and allocation or categorization where I can go oh yeah okay that's what that is that makes sense I see it I accept it I can I can now discard it and just enjoy the story no there was no discarding it was just like every time you looked at those characters it was like Ugh. and it's even worse in the the Polar Express that I want to say was directed by Robert Zemeckis. Is that right? You can check that. Even worse, even worse. Just these very odd, odd um, characters. To a lesser extent, if you look at the King in the first Shrek movie, voiced by John Lithgow, a little bit of that as well. Just a little bit disjointed, a little bit staccato, just not quite fluid enough. Um, and you sort of can you can sort of it's easy to sort of visualize the the computer graphics behind what we're actually being presented with on screen. So that was that, you know, that was just that stage of CGI, and those movies probably spanned, you know, from from Shrek and Polar Express, which were probably a similar enough time to the Tintin movie that might have been ten or fifteen years, maybe a bit more. But suddenly we've got this jump. Now, I'm not sure, you know, in terms of the sort of the computer technology behind AI or the, you know, the, the image generation technology behind AI, if that can be now used in, you know, by, by animators and computer animators and, 
you know, the likes of the you know software or digital animators at the the big animation companies like Pixar or Disney or you know Illumination or whatever. Um, but that what I was just describing that that experience of looking at something and going this just is wrong and my brain can't place it in a universe of understanding or comprehension or or acceptance it's close to being something that should be easy to identify and recognize but it's just the wrong side of of being able to accept it and that's people refer to that as the uncanny valley so it's in that sort of in-between space where it's almost, oh yeah, but it never quite is. So it remains in, oh God. So yeah, the difference between, oh yeah, and oh God. One's acceptance, one is rejection. And that's the uncanny valley. Now, the AI images, those two I described to you at the start of this section, there is not a hint of uncanny valiness. Nothing. Not a stutter, not a glimmer, not a single off note. It is quite simply disgusting perfection. Now that's a point of view. That's my point of view. This is perhaps what music lovers resisted when CDs first emerged which was of course a form of digital capture and how people missed the analogue experience of listening to music and certainly it's what people resist when they talk about you know the compression of 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 tracks and of music on mp3s uh, where something is lost and yet that music is still the product of of humans that music is not the product of a program and so we can still connect with it and relate to it that way. Um, what I found looking at those images the other day was I was going, this is, there's no human touch on this. So I'm not marvelling at the art. I'm not marvelling at the ingenuity. I'm not marvelling at the, the creativity. I'm not in awe of the colours that were chosen and how they were applied. I'm not in awe of the the craftsmanship and quite the contrary I'm going this is just cookie cutter because anybody using the same prompts um, and if you haven't experimented with the AI if you haven't used it that and, and sorry when you haven't experimented with AI image creation that's fundamentally how it works you use a you know, an AI program, software program, which connects you to a particular website. And then you just, you know, type in the prompt, a man walking down a street at night, it's raining. He looks like Humphrey Bogart. His collar's up, his hat is on. A fire rages in the background. And then the AI program will present you with four or five images to see a selection of what that prompt has responded to and then you can modify and go um, in the style of Edward Hopper or like uh, in the style of a classic 
Hollywood 40s movie, black and white, or sepia, or, or whatever. And it goes again. So you can keep modifying your prompt. So anyone with the same prompt using the same software anywhere in the world can produce exactly the same image. Um, that's my assumption, I presume. I mean, I presume that's, that would be the, the, the result. And I am not resisting this from an anti-technology point of view. I'm not resisting it from um, an anti-progress point of view. I'm sort of resisting this from what? Mm, what is it exactly that I'm resisting in this? I'm resisting it as another symptom of the disconnect between humans. Another symptom of the fracturing uh, and individuation of the modern world, of this moment in history, this moment in life um, where so many people feel disconnected and where so many people feel uh, fractured and siloed away and all at sea. Um, and in dire need of community and of connection and of something tangible, something tangible, touchable, tasteable, smellable, <laughs> something that is there for the human senses to verify in the flesh. And... AI and AI images are not that. They have no human vibration. And that is what I resist. Because human vibration is where it's at. And when you look at a piece of art, or you pick up a book, or you listen to music, or you watch a movie or a show, or you see a dance performance, or whatever it might be, what you're tapping into and responding to often is human vibration. The human animal that created, the human animal that is moving in front of you, the human energy that is animating or has animated what you hold in your hands, what you see with your eyes, and AI is not that. AI images are not that. They are cookie cutter baubles. And I, I mean, I, and, I, and I haven't even spoken about the fact that what they're going to be doing fundamentally is cutting artists and creatives out of the picture. Um, and I, 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 I looked at an AI program last year uh, as part of the What Does He Need project, the community arts project that is exploring masculinity and the journey from boyhood to manhood um, in 
groups of young men in different parts of of Ireland. Um, and I've worked with two different youth groups on that. And the play I did last year, Manifest, was an iteration of that program. And towards the end of last year, I was trying to you know work on you know coming up with images connected to the work I was doing with a group of young men up in Poppentry in Ballymun in Dublin. And I just had a dabble with AI image making and I was given an image. I was given an image that I was like, okay, that's really cool and shiny and perfect. And I I didn't bring it in to show the the young men I'm working with because my instinct was that they would have been unable to unsee it and they would have been unable to to not embrace it and go that's what we've been working on that's the the young man that we've imagined in our work and the young man that we've created in our work and I didn't want to take that risk I didn't want to take that chance and I, I just decided no I'm just getting rid of this I'm not going to use it it doesn't feel right the work that I was doing and hopefully will continue doing with those young men is so organic it's so um, it's so sort of hard fought for it's so honest it's so integral to who these young men are it's such a product of their experience and their internal lives that to show an AI generated image as being connected to that would be completely it would be a betrayal of the work that we've been doing in the room um, and I just thought no that's the, that was the wrong instinct I was curious to see and thought maybe this will open up my own imagination but it just sort of confirmed um, some of my instincts um, that no this is this is not the way to go and that's um yeah that was my position and that is my continues to be my position and it was funny at the weekend when and i said it a moment ago that i had this desire then to just put the phone down walk away from the phone and i picked up a book and it was a book i was given um for my birthday um by a friend it's called shark drunk by morton struxness that's s-t-r-o and one of those scandinavian o's with a diagonal slash through it k-s-n-e-s morton struxness and i only read the first few pages and it was instantly an immersion in something that calmed me down and it was this journalist from now I want to say Norway I hope I'm right I might not be right I think I'm right basically talking about the the history of sort of seafaring in his family and how he was going to travel across to some fractured islands off the coast of Norway up near the Arctic Circle and travel out onto the kind of out onto the icy seas with a friend this sort of taciturn fisherman uh, who was also an artist 
um, to, I think, hunt a shark. <laughs> and had to wait for perfect conditions um, because otherwise it wouldn't be safe to go out there. But just those first few pages and the way he described his family history and the way he described the landscape and the way he described his fisherman and the way he described his fisherman's boat and the kind of climactic conditions all of it just brought me back down to something real and it calmed me and it just felt like the perfect antidote to 30 seconds of looking at ai images and i was like this is this is where i want to be this is what i want to be in the presence of and what it pointed out to me in that moment um, was my desire for simplicity and my desire for honesty and by saying that I'm there's an implied indictment of AI as being not those things because they're not they lack a legitimacy and they lack a reality and the clue is in the title A is artificial um, so I sort of went on this little brain journey and was reflecting on this relationship I have to to simplicity and this relationship I have to humility and trying to keep things simple and plain. And again, if I remind myself of the the sort of the, the, the you know the subheading of the the, the, the the blog that started the podcast, the clear out, the subheading on the blog was not wellness with attitude. The subheading was decluttering clarifying connecting and that decluttering idea is about simplifying it's about breaking things down into their constituent pieces to better understand them to sort them to categorize them to better relate to them and to basically drop down through the gears to be closer to them um, to a, to to whatever to appreciate to to evaluate to identify and then to see how that affects one's relationship to them and the various things I've been doing over the last few years teaching some martial arts creating some wellness content teaching mindfulness. Um, advocating for wellness and well-being, advocating for being open, honest, transparent, authentic, vulnerable. They are all that. They're all sort of simplifying, decluttering. And there's unquestionably a relationship to that philosophy and over 30 years of martial arts practice and the karate training space, the dojo, that is an empty space. 
just like the theatre is an empty space. And Peter Brook, the great British theatre practitioner, director, who passed away a couple of years ago, um, one of his core texts was a book called The Empty Space. And Peter Brook famously broke away from mainstream theatre at the height of his success, which he felt, theatre that is, he felt was just too moneyed and extravagant and commercial and ornate and moving further and further away from what theatre should be. And so he went back to basics and moved to Paris and established a very stripped back theatre company um, at, uh, was it Bouffe de Nord? Was that the name of the company or the name of the location? But his company was made up of international actors, performers, and they just did this kind of stripped back version of theatrical storytelling and travelled around the world doing it. And I was lucky enough to see one or two of his shows. And yeah, they, they were a different experience, very pure, very direct, very simple, very unadorned and very powerful um, and very resonant. Um, but his philosophy was, yeah, the empty space, that's all you need. Put someone in the empty space and let them do something in it and then people will fill that space with what they feel with what they respond to and a dojo a, a training hall is very much like that and they are these are these are sacred places and so in a way on some level i i can recognize that the the karate dojo is a sort of church to me it's a sacred it's a sacred place and it's a, if it's not a place of worship, it's a place of practice. And certainly we can understand churches in that context. But a dojo is very much in the, the Protestant tradition, breaking away from the ostentatious uh, wealth of, of, of Catholicism. I mean, the Protestant movement was all about going back to basics, stripping it down, being closer to, you know, by the stripping away, getting closer to the pure connection with faith and God and practice. Um, and, you know, that uh, that appeals to me, um, not from a religious point of view, but if you think of kind of the Lutheran, Quaker, maybe Presbyterian kind of traditions, um, there's an honesty in that and an austerity. Now, of course, that could be, <laughs> you know, as depicted in, I don't know, maybe The Crucible, Arthur Miller's The Crucible, or as depicted in uh, Lars von Trier's film, Breaking the Waves, that can be depicted in very extreme, repressive, puritanical ways. Uh, and you think of the great friend of Ireland, Oliver Cromwell, not really a great friend of Ireland for clarification you know the again stripping things down to um, a, a, you know a sort of a righteous viciousness um, or a vicious righteousness if you prefer that's not what I'm talking about but aesthetically energetically spatially to strip things down um, and the humility of that 
I mean, you know, dojos, karate training halls and, you know, karate clubs. They are, in you know, in theory, you, you step into that space and you put on the, the uh, karate uniform, which is basically white pajamas, um, or, you know, famously described, I think, by Robert Twigger uh, as angry white pajamas in his book about starting karate or continuing karate when he was an English teacher in Japan. Um, it's always a funny way to think of them, angry white pajamas. But see, there's a simplicity to that uniform and there's a collective humility. Um, and the only thing that distinguishes one person from another in the dojo is the colour of your belt. Now, historically, when the old instructors, and I'm talking way, way back, uh, before sort of karate got modernised and formalised by uh, Gishin Funakoshi, who's the originator of the style of karate that I practice, Shotokan. Um, Shoto was his pen name, um, Kan. So it's like Shoto's place. That's where people went to train. But even prior to him, when Gishin Funakoshi trained, he'd just go up to the master's house and request that he could train with them. And he'd just train in the garden or in the yard. And that one day the master would go, there you go. You know, now you can begin your real journey and you're given you know, and, you, and you'd be given your black belt. So it was white and then it was black. Um, and really the, the color system was a way of probably I'm not sure. I, 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 <laughs> again, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm betraying how, you know, it's what a bad student I am in terms of, you know, knowing this. But the color belt system really appeases Western students. Because that's, you know, it incentivizes the training towards the quick reward. Because you can sort of acquire a new level if you're training regularly every few months. Here's a new color, here's a new color, darker, 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 and eventually black. That's the idea. But um, apart from that, ultimately, when you go into a karate club to train, everyone's just there to do the do the training. So... There's a collective spirit of humility. We're here to train. We're here to subject ourselves uh, to the training, to serve the training, to serve the thing. And the thing is, in this case, karate, a martial art, which is an aesthetic ideal as much as it is um, a physical system of defensive and attacking techniques it's an aesthetic ideal so you're in service of that and so if it's an ideal it's not there it's something that has to be physicalized or represented or infused with what you bring to it um and that's that idea of kind of bringing yourself to the space is very close to my philosophy in a lot of things I do so even sitting down to do the podcast as usual as ever mostly I just have some a couple of ideas in my head I want to talk about and then I go so all I'm doing is I'm bringing myself to the moment I'm bringing myself to the space and again this is an idealized space I mean I can talk about my physical space here as I record the room I sit in the chair I sit in the window I sit beside the, the the equipment I'm using but 
I'm not really that mindful of that when I'm doing this. Really what I'm doing is I'm speaking into an empty space. I'm filling the space with my thoughts, my feelings, my reflections, my desire to represent those and my desire to present them in a way that is graspable and attractive to those who might listen. My desire to connect with those who listen. That's you. Because if you're hearing this, you're listening. <laughs> you might not be listening. You might just be hearing. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the, 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 that, that's at, at the heart of this. And in a way, I feel like that's the antithesis of AI. Because it's just a direct and visible, or in this case, audible, but tangible offer. And to, you know, to stay with the karate metaphor or analog for the moment, we come to this idea of something that is honest. There's nothing, in a way, there's nothing more honest than a punch. There's nothing unambiguous. Sorry, there's nothing ambiguous about a punch. So to train and to punch again and again and again the physicalization of that effort of that technique it is a pure expression of effort of desire of intention and it's very hard to disguise a lack of commitment it's very hard to disguise a lack of energy it's very hard to disguise a lack of fitness it's very hard to disguise the the absence of intention because the body doesn't lie. And so there's tremendous honesty in putting a punch out there to be blocked or just to be practiced. Um, and that's, that's part of the appeal as well. Um, and I mean, I recognize, I recognize, I mean, I think it's worth, it's worth mentioning that it's not passive, you know, stepping into these spaces, it's not passive. Um, and it requires mindfulness and it requires, it can require compromise. It can require holding contradictory elements because empty spaces, and particularly if you think about a theatrical space, but definitely if you think about a church, a religious space, a house of worship, a house of religious practice. You think of a, a dojo, a training hall, empty spaces. You know, they can be filled with elements that aren't so great. And they can be filled with ego. Um, and certainly theatrical spaces and church spaces and martial arts training spaces, they can be filled with ego. Um, and it's an empty space. And if you get an ego big enough from the person who is calling the shots, that can be a very dominant flavor in a space that really is not meant to be about that. And that is something that has to be negotiated. Um, and in a way, if you think of the, do you know the, do you know the film Dodgeball? It's probably about 20 years old now. It's a very, <laughs> well, very funny, but ri quite ridiculous comedy. Um, with Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn as 
competing managers of two very different styles of gym and Vince Vaughn's gym is just full of people for want of a better phrase in the context of the movie sort of losers and nerds and weeds and dweebs but Vince Vaughn it's like it's all good just come here get what you need to get out of this see you later you know this is our little family and Ben Stiller is <laughs> this kind of maniacally muscled up steroid uh you know damaged megalomaniac um who you know who can only tolerate absolute apex alpha behavior in pursuing you know physical perfection um and always the hard sell always you know you know hyper aggressive and hyperbolic and bombastic and um total a total egomaniac everything is in his image and set up to serve his ego and his sense of self um i feel like i can picture is there a portrait on the wall or painting on the wall behind him in his office the ben stiller character of him wrestling an enormously muscled horned bull wrestling him wrestling him to the ground i think i'm remembering that correctly but you know that can be you know a karate club can be like that you know you, you know the, the, as i said before the, the, these these spaces can be and theater spaces as well they can be absolutely subject to cults of personality and when you get someone who believes that they are the last word on everything it, it often leads to bad behavior it often leads to abuses of power and we've come full circle because that brings us back to putin that brings us back to putin if you're the last word if you think you are you have the final say over everything if you are the leader you are the big personality in that empty space and you dictate what's what i mean you're you're veering into taming of the shrew territory i say it's night i say the sun is shining when in fact the moon is high and it's a total flex of of ego of narcissistic um you know narcissistic sort of delusion and craving absolute power and absolute influence and it does not tolerate the presence of a critical voice and those are toxic spaces now i don't live in russia i don't live in moscow i don't live in putin's head i don't know how toxic those places are but maybe some of the evidence certainly as presented in the west would lead us to come to that conclusion um okay i think i think that's all i've got today i'm not sure if i had any other single solitary point to make but we got through quite a bit um yeah so i want to um i want to give a shout out to someone who reached out to me across across the across the seas of social media i had a shout out from someone yesterday um i'm recording this on uh, on tuesday i had a shout out for someone who i hadn't heard from for a very long time and initially i was like who the hell is this <laughs> and then i was like all oh, right uh so i'm gonna i want to say hey to to trev um who is a guy i knew back in the days when i was living in wicklow town 
the early days of um, of my marriage and it was just a good head about the town bit of a muso and a friendly face to bump into and uh, yeah he just reached out he's been living in different parts of the world he's been in Italy for a long time and now finds himself in England and he just reached out with a nice hello and um, said he'd been listening to the podcast and has been finding the podcast helpful to him and it's just lovely it's just lovely to get a message like that and go all right cool isn't that great and so a nice a nice opportunity to to, to reconnect and um so yeah so there you go so hi trev thanks for listening and thanks for reaching out with some some good wishes and, and a nice message i i really appreciate it and um as they say in australia i hope you're traveling well mate so that's it i am done for another week um i will be back next week with something different and maybe i'll talk about those movies that i didn't get to talk about today um you can always throw me some love on social media if you dig what i do here if you dig this gig you can say nice things on youtube you can say nice things on facebook on instagram they're the main places i've kind of given up on twitter i just don't really it's it's, again i just don't value that space there's just every time i see a headline on twitter it's usually someone having a go at somebody else um or venting or it's just it's just bad energy i don't like it it does nothing for me and i've underused it anyway so um but yeah those other spaces are just a bit more benign a bit less toxic and so if you want to say nice things if you want to you can you know wherever you're listening to the podcast uh, usually there's an opportunity to to rate the show to review the show that stuff helps um you know share comment whatever and of course if you're really motivated and think yeah uh, this is doing this is doing a lot for me or i want to get behind this independent production this independent podcast you can support it on patreon uh patreon or patreon whichever you prefer pronunciation wise it's the same thing patreon.com forward slash the clear out and you know that's that might be a few euros a month the price of a a cup of coffee the price of a well the price of a cheap sandwich (laughs) depending where you live and um that's a lovely that's a lovely form of of validation uh and that all helps as well okay that's it uh i look forward to talking to you again next week in the meantime mind yourselves mind yourselves step into the space step into the space and think about what you're doing there think about what you're bringing that space are you a balancing element are you the source of chaos that might be appropriate that might be appropriate in that moment but i don't think we're meant to stay in chaos are we i think it's better for us to kind of drop back down through the gears and stay calm okay take care mind yourselves i'll talk to you next week all the best bye